whether travel, health, rain, and other hopes should be the primary focus of prayer. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. That's a pretty serious topic I've got lined up for today, and I will get to it perhaps with uh, more of a broad approach than I've used so far in Walk the Earth. But I want to do that in just a minute. First, I think I need to cover a couple things right up front, because I've reached a uh, milestone in this process of walking the Earth. And I want to do uh, two things. First, I want to make an assurance that uh, this milestone of joining a church doesn't necessarily mean the immediate end of this particular podcast. But at the same time, I'm also looking out toward the end of the year and know that between now and Christmas, I need to do a little bit of work if I'm going to have Walk the Earth shows in the next calendar year. The next two months have been planned out with questions that I've asked myself over the last year or so and scheduled out all the way through December. But beyond there right now, I've got a a pretty open tablet. The reason I think that Walk the Earth will carry forward at least a bit longer, is that I think the process of becoming a member of a church is going to raise, well, it's going to raise even more questions. I didn't take the easy way out and move to the nearest church down the road that was the same denomination as the church that I've gone to for almost all of my life. Therefore, even subtle things like the membership process is a little new and a little different. But before I get there, let me just quickly do a little house cleaning and say that if you found Walk the Earth without knowing about inappropriate conversations, then congratulations, that's probably an achievement, considering the fact that I've gotten 150 inappropriate conversations shows released, and this is just the 19th Walk the Earth. But both shows can be found on the same feed at www.inappropriateconversations.org. You'll find them also together on iTunes or Zoom or also on Stitcher. Both shows, Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations, can be found on Stitcher.com. In addition, Walk the Earth has a Facebook page. It has far fewer likes than Inappropriate Conversations, which also has a Facebook page. But that's probably to be expected based on the greater amount of history for the other original podcast. I also can be reached on Twitter. I'm at IC underscore Greg. Anyone curious about the history of the Inappropriate Conversations show, what that other podcast is all about, could sample clips of the very first few episodes. First 35, I believe, are up there right now at SoundCloud. On SoundCloud, I can be found as as IC underscore Greg, and I've taken sections from each one of those first 35 shows, and I'll continue posting from there. Be an interesting thought when I get caught up all the way to the point of Walk the Earth, if I'm still loading these backward-looking views onto SoundCloud, will I excerpt Walk the Earth as well? I don't know. I think my prediction right now would be probably yes, but I don't know for sure. That's a little bit of the general house cleaning, how I can be reached. From an email perspective, I am ic underscore greg at hotmail.com, and I'm about to do a feedback show on the next episode of Inappropriate Conversation, so the very next one will be answers to feedback and questions that I've received over the past several months.
But before I go any further, and especially before I deal with a topic that's really important to me, which is prayer, seems like I should make the announcement that I have joined Harmony Springs Christian Church, part of the Disciples of Christ group of churches. And this finishes off the process of moving, in this case, what they call a transfer by letter of membership in a United Methodist Church nearby to now this church. Harmony Springs Christian Church has been mentioned by name maybe in the last couple of Walk the Earths, but I've been talking about it for more than a year now. This was the church that I mentioned when I described the jarring difference between going to a big mega church with a multi-million dollar building and the very next week going to attend worship services in a church that was meeting in a shrine temple. So if I cover this story end to end and do it briefly, there may be some pieces which are familiar, and I suppose that's probably appropriate, because if I tally up weeks of church attendance, what I'm going to find is I've spent more time in the past year and a half or so in this process of walking the earth. I've spent more time with this congregation than with any other. So how does the story unfold? I guess I need to go back to a family vacation, not this past August, but a year ago in August, where my uh, wife and my son and daughter spent some time with me and my brother and his wife at their home in, uh, off the coast of Washington State. Uh, so we were kind of relaxing, having what I would call a quiet vacation, and that was really important for me. Because not only was this walk the earth process going on, but it also made a change in the job role that I have at work. And there were other things happening that were making me want to sort of rethink a few things, sort of reset. So you're going in from one job at work to another, and you're sort of setting goals and plans and trying to establish how you're going to get off to a good start there. And this would have been maybe three or four full months into the process of walking the earth. There was plenty to evaluate on that front as well. So in the process of me spending more of a quiet vacation, my daughter ended up spending a lot of time with her aunt. And in one evening, or maybe over the course of a couple of evenings, they started watching a reality TV show called Say Yes to the Dress. Now, I'm not a fan of reality TV shows. So my daughter probably knew already that uh, trying to get dad to watch this television show with her was just not going to happen. I watch Doctor Who in some part because my daughter reintroduced the series to the whole family, but I didn't catch on to say yes to the dress. But when she got home from that trip and she was finishing up maybe her last year of college, so in hours that she wasn't in class, she was catching up on this show. She liked it enough to start watching it cover to cover via Netflix or some other means. And in the process, somehow the idea got into her head that even though she really wasn't dating anybody at the time, that this whole say yes to the dress concept got her thinking about wedding stuff. And she went looking around locally for what might be a good church to get married in. After all, she went with us walking the earth, visiting some of the congregations that we visited and independently looking for another church on her own. Because I think, as I said right up front with this, this was a unanimous family decision. All of us left the church we left behind. So she went online looking for a cool local church to get married in because obviously we weren't going to get married in the church we left. And among the churches that she found that had a reputation for being great churches from a wedding perspective was a church in the downtown of the big city close to us called High Street. High Street Christian Church, HSCC being the initials. And I think you can see where this is heading. The initials Harmony Springs and High Street are the same. So this you know, inner city, this downtown church, 
with a very large sanctuary and, a, and an equally large education wing had, during its heyday, been one of the focuses of the community, with people living close to downtown way back when, simply going nearby to church. But after that, even going through a period of, of perhaps decades of people commuting downtown to attend church, a, a congregation that had a great relationship with the community and with its building. But over the years, they hit a place where that building was no longer sustainable, that they were no longer having members willing to drive 30, 40 minutes to get to a place where parking was hard to come by to attend worship. And the building actually became something that was at risk, frankly, because of their inability to support it based on the giving. So unlike the firmly entrenched position that the small church we left took about its small sanctuary, this church, through what I'm assuming was only could only be called a tumultuous time, made ultimately a mature decision about its situation, and they sold the church, or they're in the process of selling the church. When it sells, the hotel that intends to buy the property and erect a hotel on the site uh, is debating whether to keep the sanctuary intact. It was apparently that impressive of a building. I've never actually been inside to see it, because I don't consider myself in many ways to be a member of High Street Christian Church. I never attended there even once. But I am now a member of Harmony Springs Christian Church. So the point, I guess, was my daughter was right in estimating the uh, building as being that much of, a, of an attraction, that good of a place to get married, and that this hotel chain is considering keeping that and having a nearby sanctuary as part of the draw for people who might want to come from who knows how far to get married in this particular church building. When we encountered them, though, they were not yet at the point of having closed the deal on the sale of the church and therefore not really able to to make a decision about whether to build again. They had bought property. They bought property 40 minutes away, 35 minutes away, in a community that's much more close to where I live. But when we first encountered them, they were actually meeting at the Shrine Center nearby. So a Masonic sort of building, and one that was an or ornate in terms of its decor, uh, looking a bit like an Egyptian desert scene. You could do a high school version of Lawrence of Arabia there and fit right in. But we didn't know that at the time. I think maybe my daughter might have had a hint that they were meeting in a shrine center, but I don't know that she would have had the context to really understand what that was. I, of course, had no idea where this building even was. We needed to use GPS to take us to that particular address. And I remember mentioning in that earlier episode, driving through a fence that for many hours of the day, or certainly in the evening time, is, is shut and locked. So you kind of feel weird when you're driving through a fenced-in area, wondering, you know, is everything going to be fine when you get there, or is it going to be open when you try to drive back out of the fenced area? And we attended worship with them, and the first Sunday that we were there had not only the burden of us getting used to the surroundings and trying to get our minds around what this otherwise loving and worshipful congregation was doing in such a strange place. This is also the place where we took communion that first Sunday, and the ju it was grape Kool-Aid as opposed to grape juice or wine that was being served as the blood of Christ. And of course, you know, later putting all the pieces together, saying, well, this is a Disciples of Christ Church. Frankly, if I were a Disciples of Christ Church, based on the history in the 1970s of Jim Jones, I would never serve Kool-Aid as the the liquid implement of, of a communion service. And I think it says something about the people that we met that that didn't really dissuade us from visiting again. And so off and on for a while there, 
we went to the church when they were at the Shrine Center. Well, over time, they realized they had an opportunity to move even more centrally into this community of this small city, move closer to the high school, closer to the community center, and actually move the worship service, which was basically a set-up, take-down activity every Sunday in the Shrine Center, into a nearby health and wellness center, where a place where people might otherwise come to, uh, to exercise or to uh, swim. You could come there and you could worship there as well. They had a nice room that could be expanded to be multiple different sizes, depending on how big your group was, for what I would call it almost like a sort of a convention center approach. The process of setting up and taking down was moved there. And that's kind of where we've been going ever since. So when we've joined Harmony Springs Christian Church, through this process of walking the earth, on the one hand, we have walked the earth until the point when we have found another congregation. But on the other, we found a congregation that doesn't actually have a church home, that doesn't have a building. And based on some of the experiences I had with the church we left behind, I'm comfortable worshiping in a place that doesn't have a building. I'm comfortable worshiping like that, perhaps, for quite some time. And it'll be very interesting being one of the voices uh, when the process comes around to establishing what a new building should look like. In my mind, the new building, while it needs to have a sanctuary, I'd love it if that sanctuary actually functioned in more than just one way. Instead of being a ancient Judaism notion of a holy of holies where there's an altar and no one's allowed to touch it and kids aren't allowed to be in there unescorted and no one's allowed to have food or drink anywhere near that part of the church building because it's the sanctuary. I'd rather it be a part of the church that operates both as a place of worship and a place of genuine outreach, a place where the sanctuary can be where going and meeting disciples can happen both in the form of worship by inviting people to come, but also maybe this is the place where you you pack backpacks for a program like Blessings in a Backpack or care packages for military families or students who've gone off to college for the first time, where it can be a place where it's okay for the work of the Lord to be done, not just the worship of the Lord to be done. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out. So this time, I wanted to talk a little bit about just the details of the church we have joined, because Walk the Earth is essentially the process of leaving one church and finding another, and, well, that's been accomplished. But in the next episode, I'm going to pick up a little bit and take this somewhat further and talk about this concept of becoming a member of a church. And we'll follow Walk the Earth just a few more steps down the road, maybe many more steps down the road, as this transition takes place, because now instead of walking alone as a family, in some ways we're kind of walking with this new congregation that is just as much between churches from a building perspective as my family was between churches from the perspective of seeking a congregation that was willing to to do as Jesus said, to follow Jesus or the Holy Spirit wherever the Spirit might lead, as opposed to circling the wagons and ferociously defending the way we've always done things around here. But one of the things that I think qualifies best as the way things are traditionally done is prayer. To restate our question, whether travel, health, rain, and other hopes should be the primary focus of prayer. And I think in some ways it would be just almost too easy for me to say the answer to that question is no. When I made my notes for this particular question, my answer, I think, is not solely that I'm not going to say that there's anything wrong with the way other people pray. I will, from time to time, quote Jesus and let Jesus say that 
that he, you know Jesus is not a big fan of the prayer in public schools concepts that get thrown out so often in the political sphere today. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, he's made it really clear that Jesus doesn't want us praying in public so that we may be seen as being good people or or doing good works. Uh, Jesus doesn't use the phrase, you must not, very often in Scripture. And the only place he really does it is the Sermon on the Mount. And the first time he does it was about this concept of public prayer. But I will pray in public with people who are publicly praying, even if it's not necessarily my sole focus. And I will join in prayer of people who are raising hopes and dreams. Prayers of supplication is what we call it. And I will ask for those prayers on my own as well. But I don't know that it should be the primary focus. So my answer is sort of, or really not solely. But if you were to attend a worship service today, maybe in a service where the members of the congregation were encouraged to publicly raise their voices by sharing what what they would hope the people would help them pray for, um, it's going to be stuff like what we call in the church traveling mercies. I'm going to be getting on a plane and going across the country, or the whole family's getting in the car and we're going to go on a road trip, praying that that travel will, will go well and that the person will come back safely. Very common prayer request. Health is perhaps the most common prayer request. And I'd be a hypocrite if I said that there was anything wrong with that, because for, frankly, several weeks in a row, I've been praying for more than one person that I know either directly or indirectly who's dealing with a serious form of cancer. So praying for health or making people aware of people who have health concerns at the time of prayer, that's a good thing. Of course, when you get to the point of praying for rain, then you get back to that place where in the last episode of Walk the Earth, I tried to talk a little bit about that difference between faith and superstition. So prayers of supplication is one thing. Prayers for rain, I understand it, but it perhaps stretches the boundary of where I'm willing to go. Let me use just a couple of examples that I posted here recently on the Walk the Earth page on Facebook. Frankly, since maybe the latter part of September, I put an unusually high number of posts out because I wanted to sort of deal with the question of you know, modes of prayer. I mean, this is really it. To me, as a Christian, prayer is crucially important. But I also see prayer done in ways that don't necessarily make me as comfortable as they could. Let's put it that way. There was a joke post put up by the uh, Facebook group Kissing Fish that has a picture of a woman, a caricature, a fictional sort of evangelical Christian, perhaps religious right type person, thanking the Lord for the fact that their home was spared and the tornado hit the people across the street instead. And the caption says this, Thanking God for sparing you in a natural disaster is a bit like sending a thank you note to a serial killer for stabbing the family next door. That topic. And it's harsh and it's confrontational, probably in tone a little closer to inappropriate conversations than the tone of a typical Walk the Earth episode. But this is the the challenge that I put out there about prayer. So there's this negative notion. There are people who you don't have to read too many news stories to find out that they frankly engage and somewhat openly engage in praying that, you know, someone else's hopes and dreams will fail or that they'll lose their job or that the their relationship will fall apart or some other comeuppance will come their way. It's not really that hard to find people across all denominations who will confess, if you get them in an honest moment, that they pray for the failure of the current presidential administration, or even for the death of President Obama. 
So we've seen prayer used in these kinds of ugly ways. The interesting thing about this one is that the person wasn't necessarily praying that a tornado would hit their neighbor across the street, but in thanking God for sparing them, you can understand why, well, many people would be uncomfortable with that. The very first post I put out there when talking about this question of what we pray for was one written by a man named Jim Mulholland. And the headline of his article on a leavingyourreligion.com blog was called Why I Hate Prayer. The gist of it was that even when people are praying to thank God for the blessings that they receive, it can come off in a way that actually, well, discourages people from forging a relationship with God. It goes something like this. Here's the example he used. When I was 16, one of my friends received a brand new car as a birthday present. As a person driving an older beat-up truck, I was obviously envious, but I understood the inequities of life. I didn't get irritated until my friend made it a point at every opportunity to announce, look at this car my parents bought for me. Eventually, I avoided him and his car. Of course, there was nothing wrong with my friend being grateful for the present and for thanking his parents. What was obnoxious was his constant need to make certain everyone knew of his good favor. This is how I feel about certain claims of answered prayer. If you really think that God has intervened on your behalf, thank God and keep it to yourself. These are the words of Jim Mulholland. And I think when Jesus was talking in the Gospels, using the example of the Pharisee that Jesus strongly disagreed with for praying aloud about how thankful the Pharisee was to God that you didn't make me as lowly as one of those sinners over there, Jesus was calling out that that's an inappropriate form of prayer, focusing too much on calling attention in public prayer to the blessings God has given me, or thanking God for sparing me of something where there might be somebody else who wasn't spared of it. On the one hand, there's nothing wrong with rejoicing, and in a time of public congregational prayer, thanking God that you have been cured of your serious, you know, life-threatening Ill- illness. But what does it do to the person who has not told the congregation yet that he or she has got cancer too? Or maybe one of their loved ones has just died, and God has, in their mind, been very picky and choosy about who he's intervened to heal and who he has not intervened to heal. I've got a story in my past that I have told once, really, on inappropriate conversations, um, maybe twice from a couple of different angles. You almost have to listen to several episodes to get the full story. And I was invited on the a guest appearance on the Take Him With You podcast this summer to share that story again. And I deferred that, not forever, but just for a time. Because, first off, I to tell the story properly takes some time. And it, it had already been the right length of interview, I guess would be the way I'd word that. But the other thing was I just needed to spend some time praying privately to get my head around whether to share the story at all or whether to share the story again, I guess, is the right way to word it. I referred to it once also in an interview with the Tech Support Rich show at simplysyndicated.com. And in that one, Rich did the right thing. My friend Rich, he called me on it and said, you know what, it makes me feel a little bit, um, it makes me feel a little bit uneasy that if God has answered a prayer for you, but he doesn't answer a prayer for me. And he basically said, it's one of the reasons I'm an atheist, he told me. 
Because it's easier for me to just believe there is no God who's not answering anybody's prayers. And your experience must be something different than the way you understand it. But I still respect your understanding of it. It was kind of how he handled it. And I, I gave him really what I consider to be, for me, a sincere and heartfelt response to that. But it kind of drove home the thing that I've known all along is that if, if I've had a very special moment of personal relationship with the Lord, if my prayer life has had something in it that I will allow to influence me for the rest of my life. That's great. And a lot of people from an evangelical perspective or from the approach of evangelism would tell me that I should be going and telling that on the mountain. But you know, when you go back to that old hymn that we sing during Christmas time and shortly after Christmas time, go tell it on the mountain, it's announcing something about God. It's not announcing something about me. So I find it tricky to even share that story about blessings that I've received. Literally, this notion of hopes fulfilled, it's okay to tell it when it's talking about what God has done. I'm less comfortable telling the story if it makes it sound as if there's something you know, special, unique, or, or even, for that matter, weird and different about me. So it's okay to say, Lord, we're about to take a big trip. Please watch over us while we're gone. Because to me, that's me saying, Lord, I feel your Holy Spirit is inside me. I feel the movement of your of your spirit, uh, even within and through my entire family. Help us to be good hearers of what your Holy Spirit would have us do. In fact, I know there's more to say on Walk the Earth, beyond just this question of switching membership from one church to another, because maybe I haven't done a good enough job in this particular show talking about the Holy Spirit. And even on inappropriate conversations, I really haven't spoken much about the Holy Spirit in a really direct way since maybe the first you know, dozen or so episodes. It's been a while. And so I'll keep that in mind as something to come back and revisit. Because in some ways, uh, praying for uh, traveling mercies, praying to do well in a job interview, to me, in some ways, that's just praying that God's will will be done, for first off, that's the most important thing, and praying that I will be a good hearer of that will. So that if, if the Spirit of the Lord is moving alongside me and giving me direction or giving me encouragement, or telling me when it's time to shut up. Uh, my fa- family would be hearers of those words, and we would listen, and we would respond appropriately. That's a very different thing from hoping that the God will... Well, let me let me share another article, because I think it, it kind of covers it pretty well. There was, a, on Religion News Service, an article written by Sarah Pulliam Bailey called, What Do Americans Pray For? Themselves and maybe a sports team. In terms of talking about how people pray what they pray for, what they pray about. And essentially, the notion was on the one hand, 48% of Americans pray every day, 82% who pray typically pray about family or friends, 20% pray for people of other faiths or people who have no faith. And I'll draw the line right there. It gets interesting, right? But the last one is an equal number of Americans pray behind the wheel, either for a good parking spot or not to get a speeding ticket. Well, you know, when I pray behind the wheel... I'm simply in conversation with the Lord. I'm usually not asking that the Lord will intervene and stop the police officer's radar from working because I was going too fast. It's usually not that. It's something different. The one that jumped out at me on their survey question was, do you pray for success in something you know wouldn't please God? 5% of the people said yes to that. Or do you pray for bad things to happen to a bad person? 9% of the people said yes to that. But here's the one I think is really interesting. 
Success in something you put almost no effort in whatsoever. 20%. Now, I could be critical of a popular country song and say, this is sort of the downside, the ugly flip side to Jesus take the wheel, right? In some ways. Praying for God to make you successful in something where you know you haven't done your part. Very interesting. And that to me is the opposite of what prayer should be about. Prayer should be about seeking not God to miraculously intervene on your behalf when you've dropped the ball, but to actually use you. So the one part, the one part of the story that I kind of alluded to a moment ago of answered prayer really making a huge difference in my life, I won't go into the answer itself here on Walk the Earth. At some point on the Take Him With You podcast, I will share it with Rick and Amy Moyer, and I'll tell everybody about it on the Facebook page and on Twitter, and that's how you can find the sort of the rest of that story. But I will answer the one question, what was I praying for? Because in this article on the Religion News Service blog, it's really kind of calling out how interesting it is, the variety of things that Christians pray for. This notion of people who pray for people of other faiths or who have no faith, I'm curious as to what they pray for. Most of my life, most of the time, when I prayed for people of other faiths, it's been praying that the Lord will protect them against persecution. But I'm going to guess that the one in five people who said that's what they pray for in this survey were probably praying something very different. Praying that those people would see the light, find the Lord, change their path, and maybe putting the pressure on those individuals that they know who are of other faiths or on society that would actually put them in the path, potentially, of persecution that somebody like me is perhaps praying against. Now, again, prayer is not a matter of magic spells. This isn't, I'm saying the secret incantation to protect people against violence, but other Christians are praying the secret incantation to create violence. It's not that. But the reality is something is wrong with the way we pray. If you've got a group of Christians who openly admit that they gather together from time to time and pray for President Barack Obama to die, there's something wrong with that. So to restate, I'm not criticizing the idea of raising prayers for, for good weather or for catastrophic weather to not happen, or for travel to happen safely, or for people to remain healthy, or for people to get healed if they are facing a serious illness. I'm not criticizing any of that. But the prayer that I prayed at that moment, the crucial moment, that sort of set all the other things that happened in that story into motion, the prayer that got an answer, and it's a prayer that I find gets an answer more often than you might expect, an answer that can't be just aligned with Things like barometric pressure, or competent, capable, capable pilots, or modern medication. No, it, it's an answer. It's a prayer I get an answer to because the answer comes back to me usually in the form of either a question or a explicit direction, and it's this: Lord, what would you have me do? If I'm praying about something in particular, maybe it's a situation at work or at church, the decision to leave a church, frankly. Or the health of a friend. You know, of course, God doesn't need me to tell him that I'm praying that that friend or that, that friend's family member will get well. But if the prayer is, Lord, what would you have me do? I might actually get a very different answer. It won't be, you know, I am the Lord Almighty and I heal whom I want to heal. Or uh, I'm going to push my hand to the feverish brow of that individual and she's going to be miraculously saved. No, it might be something as simple as saying, have you taken them to dinner? 
Have you done anything to address the workload that they're they're experiencing? Whether they're somebody at church with a lot of responsibilities and those responsibilities need to be alleviated, or actually somebody at work where how I might interact with that person on a day-to-day basis needs to take into account what they're going through. That, to me, is what I talk about when I talk about prayer. The power of prayer is not God intervening and making sure that the tornado hits the person across the street instead of you. The power of prayer is God actually answering the question clearly enough for you to hear him when he says what you should do. Lord, what would you have me do? Is perhaps one of the most powerful and also most dangerous prayers that anybody could ever raise. I've raised that question a couple of times in my life and the first time I did not do what I heard I should do. And that took me down a very interesting path. It wasn't a dark and dangerous and deadly path, but it was it was an uncomfortable path. And the next time, I, I responded very differently and, frankly, was very blessed as a result. But I'll stop there, because I don't want this to be Daddy bought me a new car, and he didn't buy one for you. And that's always the risk. I told my friend Rich in that interview that uh, he posted up on simplysyndicated.com under the Tech Support Rich show. I told him, I said, it's a very rare occasion for me to tell that story at all, or to tell it without a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is, usually I don't tell the story. And the reason I usually don't tell the story is that, yeah, what what's somebody else going to do with that? I I don't use that particular accounting of my prayer life as some sort of logical justification for the existence of God or an insinuation that someone else should should follow my faith walk so they'll experience the same thing. It's It's none of that. In some ways, it's between me and the Lord or between me and the Lord and the people whom I intervened with or who I interacted with or who I allowed in to intervene on my behalf because I listened and hopefully... I believe I did what the Lord asked me to do. That's a different kind of prayer. I want to close this particular episode with a thought on prayer from someone named St. Teresa. I've also posted this on the Walk the Earth Facebook page. And it's a statement. It's not a prayer itself, but it's a statement about prayer that I think is an interesting counterpoint to some of the things that we've been mentioning. It's from a publication called The Little Flower. It goes like this. For me, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look turned toward heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy. So in the same act of praying, you can be raising both you know, a call for help in a moment of trial or a celebration of blessing at the moment of joy. But it is ultimately acknowledging that I'm not here alone, that I am intuitively aware of God's role in my life, as I'm intuitively aware that I myself am not just, you know, the sum of body parts, that there's a consciousness about me. And so that acknowledgement that there is help available, and that help can be very personal. It can be as personal as the answer to the question, here's what I think you should do. And I've heard an answer to prayer in such a way that it almost sounded as if the sentence was beginning with you. You should do this. Or perhaps at times, you shouldn't have done that. Or just as often, as Jesus told us near the end of the Gospel of Matthew, maybe it starts with the word go. Maybe it's go and make disciples. Or maybe it's go and do likewise. For me, 
when I raise a prayer concern for others, I'm hoping that it's not necessarily going to turn into a collective group thing where that prayer happens at that moment and then it's done. The hope is that what I'm doing is I've got one more person who is raising a prayer for the individual that I'm so concerned about. And now there's two voices who are saying, Lord, what would you have me do? Now, when somebody I've never met and never will meet um, is raised to me as a prayer concern because I'm not in that family or I'm not part of that circle of friends or perhaps they're from a far off country, I still can ask the question, Lord, what, what would you have me do? And maybe the answer to that particular prayer is as simple as remember. Max Lucado on his current podcast series, is looking at prayer. He's talking about prayer in conjunction with a book about prayer that he's just released. And he talks pretty openly in terms of saying he, he's you know, not a big fan of the idea of praying at bedtime because he often finds that that kind of prayer leads to drifting off to sleep. And I'm guilty of that as well. I will often pray at that moment when the lights are out and I'm still awake. Usually I'm not awake that long, so I've got to be willful about it. I've got to be intentional about it. But you know what? I think I've found that the nights of sleep I get when I fall asleep praying are much more restful than the nights of sleep I get on many other occasions. And I don't find that to be even remotely coincidental. So I guess the answer is, in some ways, it doesn't matter how you pray. Standing up, on your knees, walking at the gym, walking through the neighborhood, laying down. It doesn't really matter as long as those lines of communication are being opened and that relationship is being explored through conversation with God. That's what prayer should be. And therefore, it's okay if those prayers are about nothing more than I wish it would rain or I hope it stops snowing or um, I hope that this plane lands safely. But I feel that way with sort of a not really, not solely, not not exclusively with a, a sort of kind of response. Because to me, that's one form of prayer that frankly should lead to maybe the bigger questions. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. King of kings, Lord of lords, you have led us through your scripture and through the leading of the Holy Spirit throughout the years to speak to you. And Lord, it's okay if we speak to you about even the most superficial things, hoping that a loved one remembers an anniversary or hoping that you get a great parking spot, I suppose. But Lord, hopefully you're leading us to bigger and better and more difficult topics of conversation. God, we know there's nothing we can share with you that you're not already aware of. We're not going to be surprising you with a piece of information, Lord. There's nothing we can keep from you and therefore have it be beyond your knowledge. But I think you want us to tell you anyway. And Lord, I think sometimes... You want us to tell you what's on our heart, what we're worried about, what we're afraid of, with a question attached. What, Lord, would you have me do? So I have found a new church home, Lord, and I thank you for that. It's a blessing. I'm not going to go on and on about it with a loud voice in the corner of the synagogue so that everybody can hear me, but, Lord, it's, it's a blessing. But now that I've become a member of this new church, what would you have me do? What is next, both for me in church membership with a new congregation, and what is next for the Walk the Earth podcast? I'm praying for an answer, Lord, but I also know that that probably means I'm simply praying that you will equip me with the ears to hear. Amen.
What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether the church has a vital role to play in national elections. Thanks for listening.